0: Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Music for Education and Wellbeing podcast. Join us each month to hear ideas, inspiration and practical advice from people making change through music. These conversations are hosted by me, Anita Holford of Music Education Works and Writing Services. So I'll be focusing in particular on breaking down barriers to music through communication and advocacy, but from quite a broad perspective. I really hope you'll enjoy them. And now on with the show. Hello it's Anita here and welcome to this month's podcast. In this episode I'm talking with Ros Deville who's CEO of Music Masters. Music Masters is a music education charity that runs group music making programs in schools, teacher training and also gets involved in advocacy to reach young people facing barriers to music education. Why I thought you'd be interested is that they've recently created a diversity tool which helps music schools and orchestras to be more inclusive and better reflect the society we live in. It's particularly interesting because it parallels a lot of work going on at the moment, including the work that Youth Music and the Alliance for a Musically Inclusive England have done to develop equality, diversity and inclusion planning tools. So welcome Ros and thank you for coming on the podcast. It's really great to meet you. And I'm really curious to find out more about the diversity tool on Music Masters.
1: Well,
0: thanks for having me. <laughs> You're welcome. So can I start by asking a little bit about you? How did
1: you end up where you are today and why is it so important to you personally? Sure. So I'm from a very musical background, which is lucky because my schools weren't so musical. Uh, My mum's a piano teacher. She studied organ and piano at the Royal College. Um, My dad's a pipe organ builder. uh, So slightly different. (laughs) Amazing. Um, Yeah. And so I, you know, I grew up surrounded by music. I started piano at three, violin at six, and and actually, you know, we didn't have a lot of money when I was younger and I learned piano because of my mum and her best friend taught me violin for free. So actually it's, it's really important to me because of, you know, having opportunities and many children don't have that kind of opportunity. So, you know, if music doesn't happen in school, that can be a real issue. That can be a real barrier to access. But, but yeah, I went on and after a little blip, I'd say with music at school, I joined my local youth orchestra, my the Essex Youth Orchestra. Oh, and. Right. Yeah, I had a fantastic time there and went on to study music at King's London. Started off my career in artist management, particularly working with composers. Uh, I worked with some fantastic people who were very passionate about music education. So, you know, while we'd arrange performance or something, often there would be an opportunity to do something with local communities or a school or something like that. And alongside that work, I was also doing education work with my own string quartet. So it felt very natural to then go on and work in a school. Um, so I went on to a school in East London called Galleons Primary School, uh, which is very uh, well known. Oh, yes, Hmm. Yeah, and um, I was the first ever music manager there, which I thought was a such a strong statement from the school, you know, state primary in employing someone in that role. And, and within that, I identified a need to raise money because, you know, budgets increasingly tight for schools. So I kind of added that into my skill set at that time <laughs> and we ended up building a music centre actually for use in the community and the school just because space was being so squeezed in the school and we thought we've got to protect music we've got to make it something that that endures in the school so we yeah we created this amazing thing and then yeah I found myself at music masters or London music masters as we were until September and uh, was there for five years as learning director and became CEO in September. What brilliant career history. So two things I wanted
0: to ask. One, Gallin's primary, I didn't realise you were involved. I'd love to have you back on the podcast to talk in more detail about that. You mentioned a little blip. Never say little blip to somebody who's got a journalist background (laughs) because they'll ask you about it. Can I ask you about that? Was that something to do with
1: being put off music or? I think I was quite lonely, actually, um, musically. I spent a lot of time playing the piano and, and that's fine. But the the violin you know which is seen as quite a sociable instrument because of the opportunities with orchestras and um you know ensemble playing at that time the orchestra at my school was really not very good um it's now fantastic and um and and the school and the whole kind of town is full of of music and education opportunities but back then not so much and i i felt that I was not normal in some sense because I was kind of one of the only ones who played and practiced a lot. And, I, you know, I, I started learning the drums at one point because I thought it was a bit cooler. Um, <laughs> oh. And my parents very um, generously bought me a, a drum kit, which actually sat in their bedroom for a long time which was incredible of them. You know, they wanted to, to keep me playing and keep me going. And when I joined Essex Youth Orchestra, which was in a different part of Essex, so actually it was, it was actually still kind of an hour away from me. And when, when I did that, it just changed, it changed everything. Yeah, I remember sitting in the first rehearsal and playing, I think it was Tchaikovsky 5, and just thinking, oh my goodness, <laughs> you know, this is a totally different experience. This sound world is absolutely incredible. And it, yeah, got me back on track. That's a really lovely story
0: because it's so important that um, we understand young people's, the importance of young people's identity, isn't it, in, in music and finding their, the right musical identity for them. Can you tell me a little bit about Music Masters and um, what it actually does starting with your schools programme?
1: Yeah, of course. So we, we work in five schools across London in disadvantaged communities. Um, And we're in Lambeth and Islington and and Westminster. Our school relationships are are long-term. So the youngest school relationship um, of the five is now, I think in its fifth year. And we're not expanding the number of schools we work with. We have this this kind of family of schools and that's stable now. And I'll probably get onto that (laughs) and and the reason for that a little later later. But I mean, two of our schools have been with us since we first launched in 2008. So they are long term, very long term relationships. And some of our teachers, actually, a lot of our teachers have been with us as well for that kind of time. So in terms of our programmes, while there is kind of some variation to our programme model, depending on the school context, Typically, we start with the youngest children in reception. So we go in with a musicianship programme that sees all the children learning the building blocks of music through singing and then dance and play and uh, activity, kind of all inspired by Kodai in its kind of child-centred nature, but bringing in lots of other approaches and ideas. And musicianship is also kind of, it's very much about supporting the class teacher in strengthening their skills and confidence. So there's a strong training element there as well. Then after that, uh, musicianship does remain kind of a, a core part of the program, but it moves more into the space of instrumental lessons. And so the first year of learning either the violin or cello, it's a blended musicianship and instrumental kind of startup year. And, and the kind of purpose of it is to inspire wonder and excitement into learning an instrument. And the children then have two years of large and small group instrumental lessons, which happen several times a week until they finish key stage one and several if they times want... a week that's amazing yeah so they have three lessons a week so it's it is quite intensive and they all have their own instrument as well so they can take that home and practice and beyond that if they want to continue into key stage two and um, they can and typically um, would then continue up until the end of year six Again, there are slightly different models at each school, but on the whole, children each receive an individual lesson and a group lesson each week. And there are also ensemble opportunities. We also teach um, a really exciting project based musicianship programme for Key Stage 2, which, again, kind of engages and supports class teachers.
0: So do all children in each of the five schools get involved in this? Yes, Fantastic. So a child will go from the start of their school to the end of the school to year six, having Mm. three music lessons a week, plus instrumental tuition, plus ensemble opportunities and project based opportunities.
1: Yeah, musicianship for the first year, then there are two years of these the kind of three lesson a week model and then for those children who want to continue because not everyone does and um we completely respect that and in that case we kind of we either will be in there doing um musicianship for for the key stage two anyway so they'll still be with us in some form or we'll help them to um you know move on and maybe work with the the music service and try a different instrument or something like that because we are strings only and that's oh, because okay. we know the string instruments are, are challenging yeah <laughs> so it, it's really to kind of develop that resilience and and to provide challenge because it, it can be so rewarding.
0: And when you say string instruments, which ones do you cover?
1: It's violin and cello. And so the programmes, are they, are they free
0: to schools? And how, where, if not, where does the money come from?
1: They're not free to schools. Basically, we work with the school to support the costs. So both of us put in quite a lot to subsidize it as you can probably imagine it's mm. not a it's not an inexpensive program because of the the frequency and, and the kind of volume of teaching involved so schools have to invest a significant proportion of their budget to ensure that all of their children can have this this kind of very high quality opportunity because they can see what it does for the children and see the the doors that it opens up. And then in in key stage two, parents can also make a contribution if they can. Although we we do have a kind of very high level bursary scheme for anyone who needs it. And, you know, we'd never exclude a child from the programme due to financial circumstances. And we're small enough to still be able to work on an individual level with individual parents or carers to make sure that, you know, they know that and they know that we're there to support them.
0: Is there any evaluation of the impacts of the work? I'm just sort of thinking that obviously, you know, you must see it every day. This, you've got such long term relationships. Clearly, the schools can see the value of music education. Do you do any form of, of evaluation of the sort of wider impacts? So, for example, you know what's the impact on academic achievement? What's the
1: impact on social and personal mm-hmm. development,
0: that type of thing?
1: We, we do. So we have an evaluation programme um, that runs twice a year. We developed a toolkit about four years ago, I think, with the Social Innovation Partnership. And it's essentially a series of Surveys, different surveys, and they—they—they're they're, they're all done online. You know, they have kind of smiley faces and and things, um, and they do cover a whole load of different areas and questions, and you know, things where where we're we're trying to find out about the impact on their social and their emotional development. is a it's a very time consuming thing, but it's absolutely worth it. So our whole team will go into the schools twice a year and sit down with every class and every student at the computer and just talk to them and just say, you know, let's work through this. Any questions, let us know. We also kind of designed the toolkit with the children and we got them to pilot it and tell us what we were doing right or whether the questions made sense or whether it was a ridiculous thing that we were asking, or, you know, all those things. And it, that's that's really important. And it all kind of gets fed into an online system and we're, we're actually getting some formal analysis done this year because it's our fourth year of collecting data. We use the data internally to um, support us with making changes to the program and we we draw bits of information so qualitative and quantitative um, for kind of you know funding applications or reports to talk to our schools about to talk to the parents and the children about but we are yet to do something a bit more public which is what we're hoping to do this year even though uh, data collection's a bit difficult this year
0: yeah absolutely and that sounds fascinating that um evaluation Mm -hmm. model and have you got any thoughts of sharing it more widely kind of you know making it
1: available to other people or yeah i mean we certainly could do um it does draw on questions and tools um which are part of the youth music toolkit oh excellent okay sections of it are from there as well but there's there are also questions that are more unique to the work that we do. But we'd certainly be very happy to share it with anyone who would like it. And I imagine that it will come out as part of the kind of report and analysis that we do, because it works well. And actually, we had, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, I had a Zoom with maybe about 20 year sixes to, again, get their input on the questions and also to try and work with them on what we're not asking, and how they think that we could be listening better. So I think there are changes that we can still make and will be making that they've suggested. It's an ongoing process.
0: That sounds brilliant. And it's really good to hear that, you know, young people are informing those questions. That kind of leads me on to my next question, which is about making your work inclusive. So Mm -hmm. I'm just interested to know, I know it's difficult to explain, describe exactly, but what are the main ingredients of your approach? Because You know, being inclusive obviously isn't just about saying, well, you know, we're in a school, we're reaching everybody. um, So in what sense do your tutors adapt their practice for a range of learners?
1: Yeah, it's a really important point. So in in terms of our tutors, we we have a team of around, I think it's 23 teachers across our five schools. And and they come together and they share practice a lot. You know, we have three kind of main teacher training days a year, but there are lots of other opportunities where they get together and there's an online teaching space and forums and the facebook group and great. yeah and um, so a big focus is on inclusive practice and differentiation as our schools have you know a high level of diversity in, in Every sense of the word. Uh, So I mean one of our teachers is our SEND lead who supports all the other teachers and approaches and ideas to working with children with special needs and disabilities and we certainly have flexibility with how we structure lessons and sessions to accommodate children who you know perhaps struggle in the the larger group environments um, or who need a slower pace um, when starting an instrument or wherever they are on their their journey because we, we know that when you've got a group, you've got a big group, you know, they're, they're not all going at the same pace and they have very different needs. And sometimes it's really hard for them to say, you know, stop or, or I can't keep yeah. up with this or I'm not enjoying this. Or, you know, especially Absolutely. when they're very young, they're all at very different stages. And the difference between, you know, four, or five, four and five or five and six is huge. So when you, you know, plunk a violin in their hands, you have to be very, very aware of these different paces and how to meet different needs but you know it's really about enabling a scenario where they can enjoy learning their instruments and Again, you know, we, we ask the children as well how they feel and really try and create space for them to talk to us and say, you know, this isn't working for me. And I think we're that's starting to really pay off now. It's, it's hard at the beginning because they don't really know how much they can say or they don't quite always know how to describe how they're feeling. So it's about thinking about how we can support them with telling us or showing us. And those
0: conversations happen or are encouraged as part of the practice, as part of the session mm.
1: Yes, That's brilliant. Absolutely. Yeah, so our, our teachers all have training in, in youth voice. So it's all very much embedded in what we do.
0: Fantastic. That's really good to hear. I just wanted to mention also that I don't think we've mentioned this yet. Your way of delivering these lessons isn't whole class, which I originally thought it was. It's actually medium, not small group, but it's medium group, isn't it? So 10 to
1: 12? Exactly. Yeah, it is. Um, I think we feel that there is a, there's a balance to be struck. Our programme has always set out to show what can be done and we know that it's not always possible to do smaller groups in school it is not it's not cheap you know it's but it but it does show that the progress that can be made you know is incredible really um and the development and the support of young people's development when it when there are kind of maybe half class groups or something as opposed to the full class group which is really it's a tough environment for any teacher to work in um, when you when you have instruments and everything so we do some work in whole classes certainly and for example our key stage musicianship is taught in whole classes and what's amazing about the large groups uh, is that feeling of cohort and community and celebration together but certainly for um, learning an instrument it it is undoubtedly a bit easier when the groups are a bit smaller.
0: Do you have any, have you ever made any comparison of the progress that your students make, have made between, I suppose it's difficult to find a control group, isn't it? But have have you ever compared, for example, progress that you've seen in, whole class in hubs with the progress that you're seeing in smaller groups in your program we haven't actually easy thing to do is it
1: well it is (laughs) it's 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 fascinating Um, and it's something which has come up a bit recently because um the the team teach program our pgcei which um i was going to to mention we have lots of the students on there do teach in whole classes um so We've been thinking a lot about that and about how we can um, show good practice in that when we're we're not ourselves necessarily delivering that, but we have some amazing partnerships. And there are some, you know, some of the hubs are delivering absolutely outstanding practice with, with whole class teaching. Yeah. So we're looking to kind of link up a lot more and to make that something where we can we can really start to make some of those comparisons that kind of watch this space, I'd say.
0: Yeah, so that's a fascinating aspect of your work is this PGCEI mm. um, course in group instrument learning. So tell me a little bit more about that. And I'm particularly interested to know because I don't know a lot about um, what other courses are around. Is it the only course of its type? It, <laughs> it's
1: a good <laughs> question. We think so. So it's... Oh, um, okay. We think it's unique in that we are an organization, we're a charity that works directly with schools. Mm. So we, you know, we work every day, we're in schools, every day of the week, you know, full time tables, we take over schools. And that requires us to have a, a unique and very enduring and strong and um, trust full relationships with senior leadership teams and with everyone in the school actually and um, we're embedded there and this is quite unique i think because other providers um have some fantastic courses for music teachers which do touch on group teaching but but i think what's nice about our course is that our schools are essentially our kind of innovation hubs our learning hubs and a lot of the observations and mentoring um takes place there um, so whether we're we have students coming in to the classrooms and and doing a placement or working alongside our teachers or observing a lesson or we're live streaming and having you know on zoom which has been a thing <laughs> but, um, because we have lots of participants from across the uk it's amazing because we can we can just work with our teachers with the schools we have this very very um, unique relationship which means essentially they support us in what we need to do because they see it's important to share practice So it's fantastic that even, for example, in this term where schools, um, you know, a lot of music hasn't been happening in schools, we've been able to run pretty much our full programme, but also our schools have allowed us to bring people in, obviously very safely or us to live stream into their schools and that's a that's a real you know getting lots of permissions and all sorts of things which the schools support us with to make this happen all because they really believe in the training work that we're doing and they're happy to take part in it so it's we, we do we think it's a unique aspect of, of what we do and um, it's a very practical course even though it is postgraduate which means there are um, academic elements as well so basically who are the people that go on to the course it's a mix and it's, I mean, it's for musicians and instrumental teachers who who want to make a difference. Um, so, who, you know, people who want to challenge and lead on, I guess, changing the story of, of patchy provision and inequality of access and and kind of address quality itself as, as that's completely in line with our aims. So, and I think having mixed cohorts in terms of experience is really strong we you know we find that the teachers who perhaps or musicians who've perhaps just graduated from conservatoire or college or whatever um, or have been kind of studying recently they're good um, with the academic elements and that they can share and support maybe those who are, who are less familiar or, you know, it's been a while. And then you've got those teachers who are much more experienced practically and have um, had years of experience and, and some who are really high up in hubs or other organisations that have plenty to share in that way as well. So it's actually brilliant having a mix. You know, the common thread is the desire to make change. Is it mainly particular instruments? So is it strings or is
0: it any instrument? And could it go beyond classical music?
1: Yeah it's see it's quite early days for us we launched it as a kind of pilot last September and we had a first cohort and they were brilliant because they indulged us as we asked them pretty much across the whole year uh, what do you think and how <laughs> did you do you find this and what you know we were we were honestly sending them questions constantly and this year it's a little bit different we've tweaked the content a bit but we have suddenly leaped into a, a more kind of nationwide delivery because we've been able to really because of the technological push we were given through covid and we've embraced it and uh, we're able to engage lots of lots of students on the kind of on a wider range and in terms of broadening the audience for the course we are looking to do this at the moment we have violinists and cellists on the course but we also uh, have this year, a guitarist and a double bassist, which I know probably doesn't sound too, too wild in terms of broadening <laughs> the instruments, but it essentially, so we can test the content and to test that it is transferable and relevant across a slightly wider range of instruments because we do certainly intend to to broaden out to to other families of instruments and to different uh, types of music what's wonderful about the the course is that it's actually very much education focused so we partner with the education department at the at Birmingham City University it's not the music faculty because the course was born out of us really feeling as though music teachers and instrumental teachers should feel confident in delivering with groups and, and classes of children in the same way that trained classroom teachers do so it's very much about thinking about the teaching standards and, and how those are met. and that's why it's a PGCE that's another question I was going to ask you because obviously that's yeah. a primary teaching
0: qualification
1: exactly so yes it's um it's kind of follows a similar framework it's a PGCE I which is a little different it's international it, is that right it, it is yes it, it's an international one so it, it's essentially just a framework that kind of worked best for the content that we wanted to to create and, and the things we wanted to teach. But it's been amazing. I mean, we have some incredible expertise at Birmingham that we draw from. And I think it's just, it's fascinating to look at the context of primary schools and the primary curriculum, rather than just coming at it from a music perspective brilliant and so when would the next cohort be taken on? In the spring um, we've got uh, some really big plans for the course and for our training because it's been so, it's just been fantastic actually it's been the enthusiasm and the talent that we've seen coming through our, our kind of well, I suppose this of virtual doors is just incredible and it's something we can see will make a huge impact you know those teachers wanting to make a difference taking that back to their communities and their workspaces and really leading on making change you know so this is how we want to develop and and we think that there can be a lot we can do we're thinking about how we can partner up with schools around the UK how we can help to provide placements and opportunities in that way yeah lots lots to think about and that's happening absolutely so lots of sort of partnerships with with hubs and
0: music services that sounds as though it's going to to go that way Absolutely. Um, so the thing I was particularly interested in hearing about more is the diversity tool so can you tell me a little bit about that
1: yes yeah of course the tool has actually been in development since possibly 2017 working with some incredible partners so frost included and alex partners to to build this to really help organizations uh, music organizations to ask questions and to look at where they are and to kind of really interrogates how inclusive they are and and what they could could do to become more so it really driven out of you know seeing the experiences of our young people and actually wanting to ensure that they are welcome that you know they they're going into a a sector which welcomes them and values them and wants to work with some absolutely incredible talent that perhaps without knowing it they're closing doors on at the moment and you know we're seeing our young people our, our oldest graduates are now you know 17 18 we have one who was applying to Juilliard and has incredible aspirations and it's, it's essential for us that change happens so really the tool um, was kind of gently developing and put on hold a little bit over the past couple of years as we um, really focused in on team teach but when the black lives matter movement kind of resurged in the summer we thought we absolutely have to do something to support organizations to respond to think and to take that time and that space to think about what they can do so we launched actually a a trial version, which covers three dimensions. um, So that the tool itself, the whole tool has 10 dimensions. But the three dimensions we wanted to put out there were around motivation, leadership and accountability, and organisational culture. So it's kind of a starting point for organisations to really think about those areas. And there's a, you know, a series of, it's around kind of 10 questions per dimension. And to get together as groups of stakeholders to really... Think at every level about just how they're doing and how mature they are in these these areas. And it's kind of a a score system. So you're asked to give yourself a score for each question. And and if you answer, you know, towards the top, the four four or the five, you're asked to submit some evidence as well to really show to really kind of back up where you think you are and and how how well you're you're doing there. It's really a framework for provoking questions and, and conversations. And what happens after that? is an independent assessor a, a DNI expert will create this initial report structure so really looking at your answers and and that then gets taken through into a workshop space where again different stakeholders from an organization whether that's kind of participants players management boards come together you know really think about potential actions to take and just have a, have a safe space to talk openly about their feelings and their, their concerns, you know, with someone who can help them to, to make some sense of it. And that's then put into a kind of very comprehensive report, which outlines practical steps to, to making progress kind of as guided and identified by that organisation throughout that whole process. That sounds amazing and
0: really detailed. I think it probably goes into more depth than the um, tools that, that youth music have. And also I wondered about whether this is particularly coming from a race lens or is it, you know, equality, diversity and inclusion in all aspects
1: It is across all aspects. The questions certainly um, are set up to provoke kind of thoughts across all all aspects. But I think given the context in which it was, I suppose, released in this trial version, a lot of people are focusing in on on race. And it's, it's kind of whatever feels like it's possible in terms of making some progress. And relevant and, and motivating for the organization but it can certainly be used across the board and at the moment it is focused in on music organizations and um, that's not to say it will always need to be because it is quite flexible. Yeah so I wanted to ask about that because it's obviously got a
0: different audience than than the youth music Tool. Yeah. so the youth music Tool is to do with the organizations that are working with young people as they progress through sort of I suppose school and up to 25 but mm. and I know that youth music are working beyond that sort of school age group now and working with the industry a little bit more so yeah. your tool is almost for the industry onwards is that right so it would be for the orchestras the music schools anybody else
1: yeah. and just to give an idea of who we work with we've i should say we've worked with around 70 organizations this year so far it, that ranges from schools we've got music hubs um oh, okay organizations and networks um but we also have music charities publishers um, agencies, we have major orchestras. We have many of the major orchestras have taken part. Opera companies, venues. So it's, it's incredible. Kind of, so it can yeah. be applied at any stage, uh, organisations yeah.
0: working with people at any
1: stage. Yeah, I mean, it, and, and, and also it's, I suppose it's, it's not limited to organisations working with young people, but many of the organisations we work with do have kind of learning and participation departments or something like that. So that's where that comes in. But it's, it's really thinking about what they can do now, but what they can also do to support those, that future generation as well and, and think a little bit more long term. Do people pay to be part of this programme? so far the trial has been free because it was a gesture it was something we thought we should do to support and it's been amazing and also it, it helps us it, it allows us to see how it's working what we could be doing better we will be launching the full tool at some point soon which has other dimensions which are you know things like recruitment and managing talents and marketing you know all those kinds of things audience diversity mm. Yeah, so so that's coming soon again. that's that's work we're, we're doing at the moment. We're really looking at where we want to be focusing on and, and how we can support organizations and what that looks like so again it's hopefully going to be clearer soon but if anyone is interested there is a register your interest kind of survey thing on our website great so i'll share a link to that in the show notes
0: yeah, i also had a question in from carol reed program director at youth music which is what has your so your program differs from a lot of the the tools that are already existing and it is quite intensive with the aspect of consultancy and a workshop which is brilliant mm. it's sort of yeah. really deepens that learning can you tell me a little bit about what you're finding out about how that independent support is useful versus people doing it themselves in an organization with assessment tools and then action plans
1: yeah I mean it's I think it's really fantastic for all um, organizations and I think it's really necessary for organizations to take the initiative and spend time internally with their teams in, in a really kind of safe space talking it through themselves but I think sometimes having that additional voice that person who's worked with many other organizations in in many different contexts to just sometimes just rephrase something or to give a different perspective or to Um, make a suggestion of where they've seen something really effective somewhere else it's really someone to guide and we found that very helpful and certainly in the workshop setting having someone to clarify directions and make sense of things that are coming up and actually sometimes just to say do you know what this is okay it's okay for you to be unsure about that let's have a think about how we could break that down a bit it is just very helpful and of course a lot of this is difficult it's difficult conversations Mm. isn't it
0: some people might feel challenged by those conversations not comfortable I suppose having an yeah. independent facility to the, there is helpful for that as well and a lot mm-hmm. of it is about you know some of the really simple stuff is about language yeah um, another question from Carol Reeb. what has your key learning been from developing the tool is there anything that you'd highlight that you you know now that you didn't know before
1: it's a good question we're still in that process to be honest we we have had two cohorts coming through so we're we're currently um working with cohort two and we have changed the structure of the process a little bit since cohort one and it's basically because we what we were doing previously is creating the report which is the very detailed um you know it's extremely detailed which pulls together the organization's thinking and potential directions for travel and um, Things that they could do before having the workshop, and actually, it's in the workshop that a lot of the the themes and the priorities for an organisation and the things that are really possible and, and feasible for the, in the shorter term they they start to spark up. And you know someone will step in, in in the workshop and say, "Oh, do you know what? I could do this, or you know my section of the orchestra. We do this, but perhaps we could think about that, and then that mm. kind of triggers something in the orchestral management or you know whoever it is, and then these themes start to appear much more strongly, so it's it, it's just having more time with the organization to really see what what pops out, what feels like a tangible way forwards and then really using that to inform the kind of the written report and the ways forwards. So it's kind of little tweaks like that. And I think it all comes down to just giving as much space as possible for the organization to to explore something that's come up a lot in the workshops is is people's concerns about getting language wrong and and that's something I you know I've really seen come up time and time again the ever-changing language around diversity and inclusion and what should be said and what shouldn't be said and I think it's been really interesting for the um assessor or, or kind of experts to come in and just say it's not about should or shouldn't it's you know it's about It's about giving it a go and it's about making that step forwards. I think for me, it's really highlighted people's fear of language in this area. And I wonder if there's something that we can do more to help to break that down somehow.
0: Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, I think that language thing does bring about the fear, doesn't it? As soon as you start talking about equality, diversity and inclusion and it is ever changing. So that also just doesn't help. It's been brilliant talking to you, but we we are running out of time. So I'm just going to go ahead to the final question, which is, can you give us three pre- pieces of practical advice or three calls to action for others working in music education?
1: Sure. Um, well, actually, the first one was around diversity and inclusion and around language and making steps it can feel big and it can feel intimidating and people are are scared of kind of getting it wrong but i think there's some fantastic work that's been done to to help people reflect on where they are and how to take those first steps to making change you know including the resources such as the the youth music and um, alliance for a musically inclusive england i think it's about knowing that even the small steps to becoming more inclusive are a really big deal um even if they don't work it's about thinking okay what else can we try what have others done start up a conversation and ask other organizations ask other people ask your participants or your teachers or your clients you know how do they feel do they feel included that's what I'd say just kind of start small but start somewhere so I'd say my second thing is involve your participants as much as possible so I should say our our kind of youth voice journey is fairly recent um, and we worked with Sound Connections a few years back, who set us on our way really well with it all, and really inspired us. And since then, it's been incredible to work closely with our young people in shaping our programs and our advocacy work. And we're now kind of following in the footsteps of organisations such as Sound Connections and Connecticut um, Blocko and National Orchestras for All, and you know many more who are bringing young people onto their committees and boards. I just think that young people are a key to all that we do and our reason for being, and I'm sure that's the case for many other organisations, but their their voices are often overlooked. Just don't underestimate the power and wisdom of youth voice. I suppose the final one is does relate a little bit to the current, pandemic and just to say you know this is a time to push the boundaries and be ambitious and I know that people are having awfully challenging situations but it's you know anything that can be done to inspire young people and workforce and stakeholders and board to kind of stand up and shout about the power of music which I think many people have actually really engaged with and understood more than ever in this time because I think music is in danger of slipping right off the priority list for schools for example we have so much to think about and do and then spend on you know and government cuts to teacher training bursaries in music things like that just don't help so unfortunately it feels like there will have been a bit of a shift backwards but i think together we can make can, you know put on a huge effort and, and move things forward again the fantastic pieces of advice to end on thank you
0: so much ros it's been brilliant to talk to you and you really are an organization that is making change in, in music education which is what this podcast is all about thanks so much for having me and if you want to read more about music masters the diversity tool and the pgcei training i'll share the links in the blog that accompanies this podcast thanks for listening That's the end of our show this time. Thank you for listening to the Music for Education and Wellbeing podcast and make sure to subscribe so that you get to hear about future episodes. If you'd like to be on the podcast or you'd like to know more about me and how I help music and creative organisations through communications, then visit writing-services.co.uk and get in touch. Thanks
1: for listening and have a great week.